Hello, Marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC Marketeer. All right, Marketeers, thank you so much for joining me. Today I have on Tyler Chartier. He's a commercial photographer, director, videographer by day, and father by night. For work, Tyler shoots architecture and people for local, national, and international companies, and he shoots almost anything for fun. Combining a passion for the process of photography and his intense fascination with marketing, Tyler helps his clients tell stories to create strong connections with their people. When he's not telling stories with his camera, Tyler spends as much time as he can with his wife and two boys. Together, they love Bananagrams, backpacking, Mario Kart, and making music. Welcome, Tyler. Thanks, Keelan. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Awesome. So before we dig in, I'm curious how you got started in this industry. What's your story? Well, I came into photography kind of sort of a sideways, messy way to get into the business. I fell in love with photography when I was a kid. I was a teenager and I was very lucky because my mom was a photographer, an accomplished amateur photographer. So I had access to some equipment and somebody who was willing to teach me. And so I learned a little bit, took a couple of classes in high school. And then again, in college, I took a one photography class, but it was a very important one. It was a black and white darkroom film developing class. Cool. And it's where my wife and I sort of developed our relationship, Oh, if you will. <laughs> so we just celebrated 20 years of marriage last year. So Congratulations. And well, I guess that digresses away from the story about how I got started. But after college, I went and I did a whole bunch of other stuff. I was a headhunter in San Francisco, an executive recruiter. And then I didn't like that. Moved to Colorado, opened a custom design and build furniture company eventually. Okay. And... During that, when I was doing that business, I spent some time learning how to photograph a little bit more technically because I had to photograph my furniture to sell it. Right. Photographing furniture, as it turns out, is actually really hard. Requires a lot of understanding of light and perspective and color. Mm -hmm. And then after about 10 years, I kind of hit the point where I had used up my lifetime capacity for listening to NPR and sanding. (laughs) And I decided to launch a side business, and that side business was photography. I called up a friend of mine who's an architect who had hired me to do some some fun built-in furniture stuff, like a some fancy built-in cabinetry and a staircase. And I asked him to if he'd let me photograph one of his projects someday. And he really tried to talk me out of it, but a bit against his better judgment, he did ultimately let me shoot one of his projects. Okay. And he loved the photos, and and I loved doing it, and. The rest is kind of history. After that, maybe two years later, no more woodworking, and I was full-time with photography, and that was 11 years ago. Perfect. So I know that you're one of the few photographers that I've met that does project photography as well as people photography. Why do you like both? That's a good question. You know, each of those types of photography tickles kind of a different part of my brain. hmm There's something about the lines in architecture, like creating compositions that look right. And Mm -hmm. when I say look right, I just mean to my internal 
brain, whatever my, some internal consciousness that really likes lines to come together in a pleasing graphical way. And that process of using, you know, for architecture, we usually shoot with wide angle lenses, small movements, you know, affect the distortion and the, the arrangement of the lines quite a lot. And right. that process of composing wide angle architectural images is endlessly entertaining for me. It, a better way to put it actually is it's like, it's like there's a dissonance mm -hmm. for me until the lines come into some sort of harmony. And the elimination of that dissonance is, is a powerful motivator. Sure. I, I'll catch myself sometimes even it, like if I'm standing in a museum or something like that, I'll find myself physically moving where I'm standing so that the way I'm looking at the room feels better to me. It's a little weird, but so that's, <laughs> that's the awesome. architecture side. <laughs> that's the architecture side. And the people side is really just because I love people and yeah, uh, I love working with people. I love talking to people and shooting photographs of people. I think there's an, a part of photography of people that's just inherently the most compelling photography we, we can do mm -hmm. because humans are kind of narcissistic and we're always going to prefer looking at ourselves to other things. Sure. So, and I love it. I love working with people. That's interesting you say that because I find that headshots and particularly having headshots taken of me is probably one of the most uncomfortable experiences in my professional life, right? So I guess my next question is twofold. What advice do you have for me as a model, quote unquote, of a headshot? And then me as a photographer, let's say I'm trying to take a good headshot of my team member. What suggestions would you have for me? Because it is awkward on the the other side of the camera as well, because it's so awkward to be photographed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for bringing up headshots because I, I actually really enjoy doing headshots, hmm. but I didn't always enjoy shooting headshots and okay. headshots are really hard. That's I think that's why they're just... They're hard for the photographer. They're hard for the subject. Just like you said, it's, right. I don't like having my headshot taken. Mm -hmm. uh, I've taken, I don't know, probably thousands of headshots, maybe not thousands, but close to a thousand probably. Wow. I should count those up. Anyways, I think what makes headshots so hard is in terms of portrait photography, they are probably the most difficult one to do because there's nowhere to hide. Right. Humans are incredibly good at reading facial expressions. We we do it from, you know, as soon as our eyes are able to focus, basically, like that's how babies communicate. We do it all right. our lives. We can just look at somebody else's face and we can kind of see what's going on there. Right. And combine that with most people, when you point a camera at them, most of us people, at, when somebody points a camera at us, we get weird. We put mm -hmm. up walls, we become self-conscious, uncomfortable on some level. Right. We project that a little bit in our faces and people are good at reading that. So when they see the photograph, they can tell that it's a little off. And sometimes it's a lot off. We've all seen headshots <laughs> too, right? Mm -hmm. So as far as advice goes and how we can do that better, I can tell you a little bit how I approach it. And over the years, I started out doing headshots because I thought it would be, you know, kind of a good additional revenue stream for my sure. business. And I was like, oh man, headshots are the worst. Right. But what I found is that they are really hard. They're, as a photographer, they're one of the best things you can do to practice portraiture because the entire success of a headshot, in my opinion, sits on developing trust between the photographer and the subject. 
and creating okay. a little bit of space there for vulnerability and for uh -huh. the person to just be themselves. And that's, that's very difficult to do. And it's very difficult to do quickly. Anyways, the re that's why I think it's so good. I, I look at it kind of as like going to the gym. The analogy is headshots are like leg day at the gym. It's <laughs> yeah. really hard. <laughs> Nobody mm. likes doing it, but it's great for your core. And, and it really is. And what's happened though, over the years is I've come to enjoy headshots. It's one of my favorite types of portrait photography. Okay. Because it usually goes like this. Somebody walks into my studio or if we're on location, we set up kind of a studio in a conference room or something. And they're somewhere on the spectrum of, I hate this more than a root canal to mm. mildly uncomfortable. Right. And by the time we leave, I tell a lot of jokes. I try to be really vulnerable to create a little bit of that space. And about nine times out of 10, they walk out of there somewhere on the at a spectrum of, wow, that was fun, or that was not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Right. And they're really happy with their shot. One of the things I do, here's a technical trick that I would suggest, is I invite the subject into the process. So when okay. I'm shooting headshots, I plug the camera into a computer, and we take lots of breaks. We'll shoot a little bit. We'll look at the photos. And I, I sort of metaphorically grab the person and put my arm around him, and we both look at the photos together. And we start talking about it as a team. Like, how are, mm. oh, what, what's wrong here? What's not working? Okay, how are we going to solve that? And it changes that dynamic. And, right. and really, it, anyway, so that's a little bit of how I shoot it. As far as advice for when you're the subject mm -hmm. of a headshot, I would say it, be realistic about what a headshot needs to accomplish. Okay. And I, I always talk to people about this when I'm getting ready to shoot. A headshot with them. And I say something along these lines, which is let's set our goalposts. Let's not think about what, you know, all kinds of portraiture right now, because it's so broad. You know, if you think about a wedding portrait or a dating profile picture or something sure. like that, this is a, a corporate headshot, right? These are, this is a business headshot. It's got a very narrow purpose and it's very different than all those other kinds of portraiture. Right. And to kind of drill down and quantify that, it's very specific. There's kind of like one main use case for a business headshot. And it goes something like this. You got a meeting coming up with so-and-so who you've never met next week. And you Google them and you hit their LinkedIn profile or their bio on their webpage. And you see their headshot. And an ideal outcome is emotional reaction to that headshot is something like, oh, she seems cool. I could work with her. Mm. And then you're done with it. And that's it. That's kind of what it can do. And it's all it needs to do. Right. And the way that it does that successfully, in my opinion, is by being really authentic. Mm. And so that's kind of the way I approach it. And it seems to work pretty well, giving permission to the subject to just kind of be themselves and be okay sure. with being themselves. Because in a business environment, that's what works the best, right? Is when you have right. alignment between that first impression that comes from the photograph and then reality when you actually meet that person in, in the real world. If those two things match up, then it's sort of a micro trust building moment in a way. Right. And I guess by approaching it that way, that would be my advice to any anybody who's going to be the subject of a headshot is give yourself permission to just really be yourself the way that you would walk into you know a fairly important meeting. Not the most important meeting of your career, but a reasonably important one where you're going to show up and you're going to bring your A game. Right. That's kind of what works really well. Perfect. Okay. So you having your own company as a photographer, you've worked with a lot of teams throughout the AEC industry. 
what do you feel characterizes the best teams that you've worked with? That is a great question. I'm going to answer that with a story. Perfect. Six or seven years ago, I made what in hindsight was an incredibly good decision in my business. Mm -hmm. In the moment, it felt like, you know, sort of a survival tactic, but I decided to aggressively pursue working with companies that I really enjoyed working with and do the opposite with companies that I didn't like working with. Mm. And as a result, I've developed a portfolio of of clients that I really like working with and who like working with me. Right. And I don't really work with anybody who I don't like. And that sounds kind of overly simplistic, but it has changed everything. Mm. It's changed my work life, my personal life, happiness, because I don't have very much work stress that comes out of my work relationships. It's really great. And the reason I say it's such a good thing and why I'm using this story to kind of answer your question is that what that I've sort of overly simplified what is ultimately a finding and nurturing what is a really good fit between two companies. And I think that's what makes a team that I work with. It's it's not really the team being successful. It's the partnership being successful. Right. Yeah. So striving for that really good fit. is one of the things I do at every step of the way. And in a way it was really driven, but partly by not wanting to sell so much. And not okay. try to convince people to work with me. And in especially in those sales conversations, I really try to keep my focus and all of my questions and anything I say driving our conversation towards my understanding and my potential client's understanding of whether or not this is going to be a good fit. Because if it is, everything else falls into place and it just works really well. Perfect. I love that you bring up this concept of of being a good fit because I feel like this can translate to so many different aspects of relationships within the AEC industry, whether it be you as a consultant to these AEC firms or even, you know, an engineer at a firm to their clients. So digging in on that, what does a good fit mean to you? Well, thanks for asking me to clarify that because it is kind of a vague concept, right? And I've given this a lot of thought over the years because it it has had such an impact Mm. on my business. And the sort of tangible side, which I think most of us try to do in business anyways, is super important. That's like, as a photographer, do I have the skill set that will allow me to produce what my client or potential client in this case needs, Right, you know? Same for an AEC firm, right? Like if you don't do K-12 education projects, you probably ought not go for those jobs, right? But that's, I think that's really table stakes. Like anybody who's in, you know, if you're having a serious conversation about entering a long-term relationship between two businesses, then of course, all those pieces need to be in place. That's not really the the exciting part of the good fit, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. That's just the foundation. The exciting part, it's stuff that's a lot less tangible and Some of it's really simple. It's like, if we're talking on the phone, are we enjoying each other? You know, do we get each other's jokes? Can we relate on sort of a human level? Right. And beyond that, and I I would argue more importantly, is do we have an alignment of business values, but also just human values? Right. Another one of the key intangible or less tangible ideas that I really have learned to pay attention to is what does the company's culture look like? 
And okay. as a photographer, I have a weird, interesting perspective on companies. I often come in as an outsider, but I rapidly get a very intimate window into the company at at all levels. I, I'll right. wind up working with people at, at a variety of different levels within the company. Mm-hmm. And I can quickly kind of see, you know, what is the company culture? And I've I've learned to look for for that in early conversations and not that there's a right or wrong with that, but what I want is one that I know is going to work well with my personality and what I care about. Because that's ultimately right. going to lead us to a place where we're going to have really good collaboration and particularly with creative work i think collaboration is it's so important that we have that good fit that on these sort of more intangible levels and i i think yeah. probably one of the most interesting things about finding that good fit is that it requires a certain amount of objectivity on both sides of the Sorry. like you know i have to be sort of objective about who I am and what it is that works for me. And I have to try to be really objective about my client in or potential client. And objectivity is an interesting one. I think it's highly related to vulnerability and you, it's really hard to have objectivity without certain level of vulnerability. Right. Yeah. I like that you mentioned that because prior to being a consultant, I would not have understood how easy it is to pick up on a company's culture when you just walk in. But now having worked with different companies in different spaces, it is really incredible how quickly you can catch what a company's culture is, what they stand for. Like you pointed out what their values are. It's so clear walking into a team, what that is, which to your point makes finding a good fit even more important because you sort of can feel what you're walking into at a certain point. So you also touched on two things that are really important in business from my perspective, trust and vulnerability, which are two areas that we don't really talk about a whole lot when we're talking about business operations. So what role do you think trust and vulnerability play in the visual storytelling process? Well, whenever we're creating still images or video, we're creating something that's inherently visual. And the process of doing that, we mostly communicate about it using words, like either spoken or written words. And it, it works and we make it work because it's all we've got. But really, they're two different languages. And so there's an inherent sort of messiness to that. And there's a lot of gray area. And it's just, to put it simply, it's just kind of difficult to communicate about visual things with words sometimes. That comes up all the time in pre-production and during production and in post-production. And one of the most important ways to ease that challenge, in my opinion, is creating an environment of trust and really creating the space for vulnerability. And the reason for that is because we all know it when we see it. Like if we're looking at a photo, we can tell if it's working or not kind of instantly. Right. It's often difficult to articulate with words what we want to change or what we would like to see. And so if I 
as the photographer, I'm kind of the ringleader of the the circle, or if I'm a, you know, if I'm a director, I'm, I have a certain amount of control on facilitating an energy in the room, a vibe. And I try really hard to create a space where people can feel safe expressing stupid ideas. Because if I don't do that, there's a real danger that my client might not tell me what they actually want if they're worried about sounding stupid. And that's number one. And so I keep that really front of mind. And as my career has has progressed, that that has become more of an issue. I, as my reputation has gotten a little bit stronger, I've noticed that my clients defer to me more and more, which is, it's a mixed bag because the best work in my opinion really comes from collaboration. And I, it's nice to have your clients listen to you when you have an idea, but I, it's so important that I understand what the client really needs. And that's where that vulnerability comes in. And so that's number one. Number two is that I really and deeply believe that good ideas can come from anywhere. And when I'm on set, I'm good at this. I have a lot of experience with it. So I often cough up really good ideas and I don't have a monopoly on that. And I have had some of the most interesting ideas come from, you know, one of my assistants on the shoot or a client that happens a lot or the client's admin assistant who happens to be there. And by creating a culture on set with a little bubble where it's okay for people to share those ideas and I contain it and I put boundaries around it so that it doesn't devolve into decision-making by committee, but it, it really, I think helps us create the best work we can. So that's, I guess my, in a nutshell version of why I think trust and vulnerability is really important for this kind of work. That's so interesting. There are so many parallels to be drawn there just in, you know, I, I relate to this as a podcaster because I share a similar view of like some of the best conversations have come from people that I just met. And I also hold a very strong belief that everyone is really fascinating and interesting. So I love that there's sort of that different facet that you're bringing to it from a photographer's standpoint. And that it is really about creating this like <laughs> trust and vulnerability bubble to create really, really great work. So I love that. That said, if our listeners would like to get in touch with you or learn more about your work, where should I direct them? You know, the best place to find me is is just with my website. And uh, that's the best place. Okay. Me. I do hang out on LinkedIn once in a while, but I'm a little hit or miss there. Got it. Well, this has been so fun. I've so yeah. enjoyed spending time with you. And yeah, I, I look forward to when our paths cross next. Yes. Yeah. All right, Marketeers, that is a wrap on this week's episode of the AEC Marketeer podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Tyler. Thank you again, Tyler, for coming on. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast, I would invite you to subscribe and leave a review. New episodes are released every other Wednesday. Chat soon.